Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. In today's special episode, we sat down with Arthur Herman, senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and director of the Quantum Alliance Initiative, as well as Rick Fisher, senior fellow at the International Assessment and Strategy Center. They touch on China's push to use AI to develop unmanned weapons, how this could change warfare, and what the U.S. is doing to defend against it. Let's dive in. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Tiffany, thank you for having me back again. So with the Russian war on Ukraine, seems Beijing is watching that very closely. And it also seems Beijing is kind of developing some new weapons, maybe for future wars. And those weapons seem to be in the AI and unmanned realm. So how do you see this maybe changing the way wars are fought? Well, I think it's going to have an enormous impact, not just on uh, the way in which the Chinese think about how to leverage their strategic advantage when it comes to what to do about Taiwan. I don't think their goals with regard to Taiwan have changed at all. But if they ever had plans for a full-scale D-Day type of invasion uh, or anything resembling what the Russians are attempting to do in Ukraine, I'm sure that plan is out the window right now. But the overall goal hasn't changed. It's just a question of what's the means by which uh, you bring this about. And one of the most important uh, is to use your uh, advanced technology advantage in ways that will, number one, make it possible to invest uh, Taiwan so that the issue of Taiwan's status as a province of China is resolved once and for all. There is no independent Taiwan anymore. It's just another province of mainland China and will be administered as such. Bad news for the Taiwanese, but that's the goal. The other is to, is to use those same high-tech advantages in order to discourage any uh, bystanders of trying to interfere in the process. And that's what I think we're seeing right now. Well, it will change warfare radically in some ways, but in other ways, they'll kind of remain the same. Uh, first, uh, artificial intelligence combined with uh, machine learning and uh, uh, unmanned systems, be they in space, in the air, on the surface of the sea, under the sea, or on the ground, uh, all have tremendous potential for uh, uh, expanding uh, the scope of warfare, uh, allowing commanders to put machines out in front of uh, uh, soldiers and, and, and lives, but also to vastly accelerate the pace of warfare. Uh, uh, artificial intelligence has already uh, made its appearance on some battlefields. Uh, for example, the American uh, F-35 fifth-generation fighter aircraft employs a program that uh, takes information obtained by the sensors of the aircraft, compares it to a vast database carried by each of these F-35s, and can categorize uh, for the pilot the most important uh, threats and uh, potential targets. This is a, a great advance 
for uh, aerial combat. But it, it also heightens the pilot's dependence on programs, on databases. And where warfare really doesn't change is that if you understand this, you also understand that the weakness here is the computer program. If you can put somebody inside that F-35 squadron and uh, just uh, take a little flash drive and download a, a malicious program into the aircraft or into uh, the uh, command center that controls and uh, vectors many of these aircraft, then you can alter the ability of that aircraft to perform its mission, maybe even turn it around, uh, or potentially even take it over. And this is the real danger as uh, militaries move toward more unmanned systems, even though they may, may be made far more capable with uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, and th that capability is a great temptation. All of all of the all of uh, the China, the American military, they all want to have it. Uh, there are still some simple vulnerabilities that remain. What are some of the big risks here? Well, some some of the big risks and dangers, Tiffany, is that uh, an, an artificial intelligence and self-learning uh, program, if you if you will. Uh, in, in just the sort of software confrontation levels of combat that we, we face every day, cyber warfare, uh, electronic warfare, uh, even, even political warfare on, on social media, uh, programs that are powered with an, an artificial intelligence or an ability to learn are able to overcome their adversaries far more rapidly. And uh, in, un unless the defending side has uh, programs that are able to uh, get out of the way or uh, block uh, the the uh, enemy intrusion, uh, you could you could lose the war. Uh, cyber attacks could take down enough of our electronic infrastructure, maybe even uh, military support uh, systems, to let's say stop or halt uh, an American uh, attempt to reinforce uh, the Seventh Fleet on its way to defend uh, Taiwan. Uh, but uh, it, it, this, is, this is really just the beginning. Uh, both China and the United States are working on enabling their fifth generation pilots and even four plus generation aircraft pilots to control what we call loyal wingmen. These are unmanned aircraft that uh, can fly far more violently, far, be far more maneuverable than a manned aircraft can carry uh, payload, uh, bombs, uh, missiles, anti-aircraft missiles, and uh, they're expendable. If, if a pilot can send out four or, five, four or five loyal wingmen in front of them to uh, fight an incoming enemy squadron, uh, that squadron has to uh, fight these unmanned aircraft that are probably much more maneuverable and because of artificial intelligence are, are probably thinking faster than the pilot. Uh, and that's, that's a great advantage. Uh, the United States is working uh, very hard to uh, produce this capability. And uh, we can expect that China uh, wants this as well. And Rick, you mentioned the Loyal Wingmen program. So how would this play out in terms of, say, an invasion of Taiwan? I think you mentioned it briefly, but would it just be in the airspace or would we also see this maybe in the waters or on the ground? How would that play out? Well, uh, last year, uh, Tiffany, 
the 72nd Group Army, which is based in Fujian Province, opposite Taiwan, uh, held a series of, of exercises uh, that were featured prominently on Chinese state media. Uh, the, the exercises featured uh, amphibious army troops uh, operating with unmanned ground vehicles. Uh, uh, this is probably the first time that a large amphibious force has exercised with uh, ground vehicles that uh, can carry cargo. So they can sort of like march alongside the soldiers as they go from the beach to the inland, kind of like a mechanical mule or other uh, unmanned vehicles that uh, are armed. Some of them armed with rifles, others with uh, perhaps a 30 millimeter cannon. Uh, this capability is also being replicated by uh, the People's Liberation Army at sea. Uh, Chinese shipbuilding companies have built multiple types of unmanned combat surface ships and are also working on unmanned submarines that can perform, let's say, reconnaissance missions of the beach. If they, if they, uh, they can find the targets, unmanned ships armed with cannon can come in close, take out those targets right at the water's edge or, or take out mines that have been planted to uh, defeat the incoming uh, PLA forces. And, and once they secure the beach, they can start sending unmanned small tanks, unmanned uh, combat drones to deal with the initial uh, defenders of, of that area. And once those defenders are reasonably suppressed, then they can follow in and have, and the manned invasion forces will have a far greater chance of uh, securing the beach and advancing forward. Um, unmanned systems in the air, on the sea, underwater, and on the land. It's my estimation that before the end of this decade, People's Liberation Army will be able to conduct joint force unmanned operations that would precede joint manned operations. And this, this would actually be a first. This would be a capability that they would have probably before the United States has that capability. And uh, it's important now for the United States and our allies not only to figure out what parts of these capabilities we need the most, but also how to defeat them. And uh, one, of, one of the major ways to defeat them is to deploy laser weapons. Laser weapons can deal with large swarms of drones. Uh, uh, just, just today, uh, from Chinese sources, we learned that Zhejiang University, uh, a major military technical university in China, has perfected uh, self-guiding hunting drones that are able to navigate their way through a bamboo forest to find their targets, uh, and they don't need satellite navigation to do that. That's, that's a major advance. Zhejiang University had that troubling footage almost where 
The drones can track down someone, a man in the woods, even if he's hiding behind objects. So, Arthur, does the U.S. have an equivalent? Can we defend against this? I think it's important for your, your, your viewers to understand just how significant a step this is in the development of unmanned systems, of what we call drones, right? We think about drones, we've been, uh, we've been conditioned to think about them as basically single vehicle or single platform technology, like the Predator drones, right, that we used during the, during the war on terror uh, to, eliminate, uh, to eliminate targets and terrorists, uh, like the, the surveillance drones that we have flying over our house or delivering packages and so on. A single platform uh, that's either guided by a remote pilot sitting in a room somewhere using a joystick to guide it, or one that has an automatic, uh, uh, automatic uh, uh, device that guides it to its destination uh, that's built into the software that runs the platform. Swarm technology, on the other hand, is a much more sophisticated, much more complicated process. It's teaching drones how to mimic the behavior of birds in flight or bees in a swarm or this is why it's called swarm technology. And just as we are able to, we, we are always marveling at the way in which birds all seem to sort of fly in a spontaneous formation, avoiding hitting objects and turning and twisting together in numbers that run into the hundreds, right? When you see them, it, it's, it's an amazing sight. Well, just imagine being able to do that with small drones operating in a similar a swarm formation, moving almost simultaneously and spontaneously and twisting and turning in different directions to go out and seek their target. And then imagine each of those drones is carrying a weapon, is carrying a bomb or is carrying some kind of lethal device, which it is able to deliver on target. And that is able to, in the process, then overwhelm any defenses that are set up to shoot down one or two or even a dozen drones coming in on the, on the attack, because you're dealing with drones that are now coming by the, by, the, by the hundreds in this sort of job, overwhelming your defense, your defense systems. Uh, and no matter how many you shoot down, one of them will get through and carry out its deadly mission. Swarm technology, and I've been written, writing about this since 2016, it's one of the most important breakthroughs that can happen in unmanned warfare. And it's AI-driven, artificial intelligence, um, uh, uh, algorithms and software, enable it, each of the drones to keep track of where the others are and to stay on course and on target. So it demands a high degree of sophistication in terms of the AI programs that drive your drones. But it also demands enormous sophistication in your, in your drone design, because they have to be ready to, they have to be nimble enough and agile enough to bob and weave according to the pattern, the preset patterns uh, that you've laid out for them to attack the target. And at the same time, just like the birds or the bees in the swarm are able to, at the last minute, avoid hitting each other or hitting other targets. So this is a major breakthrough. On that note, Rick, how does the U.S. shape up right now? Can we defend against such drone technology and like swarms? 
we're working on that. We're working on the development of uh, uh, mobile, low power to high power laser systems, and also microwave systems that can disable swarms of drones. Microwave energy would essentially fry components, uh, circuitry within the drone and cause it to fail. A laser would uh, burn a hole in the drone provided it's, it's made out of lightweight materials like plastic as, as most drones uh, are, are today. Uh, but the lasers will get more powerful as will the microwave weapons, but China is also working on these technologies. So if we were to, as we are doing, develop our own drone swarms and, and uh, unmanned air, sea, undersea, land, uh, uh, unmanned combat capabilities, the Chinese will have the means to attack our unmanned swarms to the degree that we will have the means to attack theirs. On that note, there has been the argument that, right, China has no privacy laws and is able to collect all this data and kind of gain an edge. But free countries like the U.S. has to play by the rules. So given that restraint, what can be done so that the U.S. can still compete against an authoritarian regime? Yeah, it's an excellent question, Tiffany. And you really put your finger on one of the most important issues that relies that all of this uh, information technology and the new advances that have taken place in the last couple of decades really raise it. And that is the issue of privacy. Who's going to have access to data? Who's going to control and manipulate the data that feeds artificial intelligence technology that is supplied in abundance in our wireless technology, including future wireless technology like 5G and then ultimately 6G wireless technology? Um, these are, I think, genuine issues. When I talk about the ethical concerns with regard to AI, uh, I recognize that there is the question about who's going to have my personal data and who's going to have access to it and what is it they're going to do with it. Um, the fortu fortunately, in dem democratic societies, we have forums in which to debate and decide uh, and come to reasonable compromises between ways to protect privacy on the one hand and also ways in which to foster and defend national security on the other. No such debate takes place in China. The state decides, it knows, and it knows that it knows best in terms of how to use and manipulate data. And you and I have had this conversation before, Tiffany, but data has become the new strategic commodity of the 21st century. And who controls access to, and who's able to use data in larger and larger quantities really will become the dominant superpower in the 21st century. So privacy issues are hugely important, but there are solutions to that. There are ways in which we can protect our own personal data without, without foregoing the opportunities, or even I should say the imperatives to, to use the advanced technologies to their fullest extent, because we are locked in a head-on conflict and competition with China, which sees no such rules and sees no such constraints. And I think that the way in which the, 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 the privacy issue, uh, the way in which that can be addressed uh, in ways that will ally the concerns of individual citizens can also be uh, 
resolved so that national security and defense and cybersecurity remains paramount in our larger priorities. I think, actually, when it comes down to the ethical use of, of data and access to data, the most important, the most important ish, ethical issue right now is keeping a country like China's hands off of our data. That's the way in which, not so much what our government will do with it, but what they're doing with it and what they continue to do with it. What steps would need to be taken then to make sure we're not falling behind the Chinese? Well, we need to understand where they are in their development cycles. How quickly is their artificial intelligence uh, uh, development uh, advancing? How quickly is this being uh, uh, applied to new forms of uh, unmanned systems and uh, then cooperative operations or uh, operational exploitation of these unmanned systems? How quickly are they also incorporating energy weapons? Uh, about th four years ago, I was able to attend uh, a conference in Washington that had a little exhibition. And uh, one of the major American defense companies had on display uh, a, a, a kind of cock an aircraft cockpit, cockpit surrounded by a video. And the airplane was flying over the targets. And all you could hear were these little beeps that symbolized laser attacks. Uh, uh, and it was all being run by uh, computer programs and artificial intelligence. The airplane simply flew over the targets, but the sensors had artificial intelligence and were able to determine which targets to attack with the laser weapon. Uh, that was four years ago. Uh, has this advanced uh, into a, a usable form? Uh, I don't know, but it's it's where we were back then, and We've probably advanced that technology, whether it's in the field, I don't know. We don't definitely don't have laser weapons deployed yet. But uh, once we do, we'll definitely need this uh, very rapid, accurate, uh, artificially intelligence-driven uh, targeting capabilities. And Arthur, any last words you'd like to add? Yeah, I, I think the last word I would sort of say is, with regard to our competition with China, this is a very serious competition. The war in Ukraine should awaken us to the fact that these kinds of threats, like China's threat to Taiwan, is not theoretical anymore. It's real. China and Russia have real plans and ambitions for global and regional hegemony. And they are not restrained by international law or rule-based um, uh, global orders. Uh, they're restrained by American power and by American deterrence. And if American leadership and deterrence fail, then they will dominate and they will control uh, the future. And we don't want that. No one does. Uh, even, even those residing in those two countries don't realize that that's not the future that they want for themselves either, is for that kind of total control that's being projected and being in, in imagined. So we're in a fight, we're in a struggle. And the defense of Taiwan is just one part and perhaps the most crucial part today in terms of that struggle. But it's one which I think is going to be uh, 
demand our attention, our resources, and also our, our confidence in ourselves for the next several decades. This is not going to go away uh, with a few international agreements or, or trade pacts or, uh, or, or, or tariff, tariff agreements. This is going to be something in which we are, need to be committed heart and soul and devoted to for as, as citizens, as a nation, and, uh, and, for, and for the future of freedom. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great to have you on the show. It's always a pleasure, Tiffany. Thank you. Thank you, Tiffany. That was Arthur Herman, senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and director of the Quantum Alliance Initiative, as well as Rick Fisher, senior fellow at the International Assessment and Strategy Center. Thanks for watching China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer, and see you soon.